Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and this tape is a special teaching that I did on television, and we are taking the teaching directly from the television. Therefore, you may hear some statements that may sound not like a typical cassette that I put out, but I believe that if you will listen, you'll still be able to get the message and that it will be a blessing to you. Welcome to our Thursday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today I'm continuing to teach about the importance of God's Word in your life. And that may not be something that just really excites you, but it should. If you really understood how powerful God's Word is, if you understood the anointing that was in God's Word and how simple it is to just take this and through meditation you let this power be released in your life. If you understood that, I guarantee you, you would be excited when somebody goes to talking about the integrity of God's Word. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to lay a foundation. Actually, this is a teaching that I do in our Bible college. The very first thing I do when our students come in is I start hammering about the importance of God's Word in your life. Because to me, that's a foundation. It's like we're laying a sure foundation. It's the foundation of everything else we're going to teach. You know, in our Bible college, we don't teach philosophy. We don't teach theory. We don't teach just experience. We teach the Word of God, and we only use experience or anything else as it lines up with God's Word. But it's a Bible college. The Bible is the foundation of everything. And I tell you, we've been teaching this here on our program, and I believe that this is really making a big impact in people's lives. Let me turn over to Mark chapter 4, and I want to share with you what Jesus said about the importance of God's Word in your life. I made this statement already in our teaching, but from Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, and I believe it's either Luke chapter 8 or chapter 9, Jesus was teaching and He taught ten parables all in one day's period of time. And each one of these teachings were about the importance of the Word of God to the kingdom of God. He's telling you how the kingdom works. And in the same way that the natural world operates on this law of sowing and reaping, you can only reap what you sow. If you don't sow anything, then don't be confused if you don't reap anything because you reap what you sow. That's the natural system. Well, there is a spiritual counterpart, and in the spiritual kingdom, God's kingdom, you only reap what you sow. If you haven't taken God's Word and meditated on it and let it release its life into your, its power into your life, then you don't get the right results. And I meet Christians all of the time who are confused, sometimes bitter, angry at God, and upset about why things haven't worked in their life, and yet they haven't taken God's Word like a seed and planted it, and it is completely unjustified. If you don't know God's Word better than you know what's going on with the stock market, better than you know what's going on in the headlines, if you don't know God's Word better than you know all of these physical, natural things, then don't be surprised if you get more natural results than you get spiritual results. That's just the way the kingdom works. Now here's one of the teachings of Jesus that He gave on this. This is in Mark chapter 4, and in verse 26 He says, "...so is the kingdom of God..." as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. 
But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now there is so much in this little parable. Some of this I've already referred to, but in the very first verse here, in verse 26, it says, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. I've already made reference to this. Up in the 14th verse of this same chapter, it says, The sower sows the seed. The Lord is not really teaching us about being farmers. He's using facts about farming that were very common to these people. These people were very familiar with agriculture. They didn't just go to the store and buy their vegetables and things like this. Most of these people planted their own crops. They were well acquainted with this. And he said, the sower sows the word. So he was using these natural truths that they knew about gardening, about sowing and reaping, And he was using it to illustrate spiritual truths. So going back to that 14th verse, the sower sows the word. If you take that same thing, remember this is the same teaching by the same person on the same day in verse 26. What he's talking about here is how the word of God works. And the word of God is the seed. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed into the ground. This is talking about how we have to take the word of God and plant it in our heart. Our heart is the ground that the seed, God's word, uh, springs up and grows in. And so this again is talking about that no word, no miracle, no seed, no crop. It's the same thing. If you're going to accept that in the natural realm, that's true. You've got to accept that in the spiritual realm, that's true. Man, I could go back and preach that all over again, but I've said it so many times that if you aren't going to get it, if you hadn't gotten it by now, I don't guess you're going to get that. In verse 27, it says, And that the man should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. There's a number of things here that I want to point out comparisons about how a seed works and how the kingdom of God works. It says that this man plants the seed and then he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed springs and grows up of its own. He doesn't know how. You know what this is saying? There's a couple of things. One of them is that you have to plant this seed and then there has to be this time element involved for the seed to be able to germinate and produce. In the natural realm, if you were to take a seed and go out and plant it in the ground and then the next morning get up and dig that seed up to look and see if anything happened. Did you know in one day's time, nothing would have happened? And then you replant it. And then the next day you get up and dig that seed up and you leave it out for three or four days. And then you go back and plant it again. And then you dig it up and leave it out for a week. And then you go back and plant it again. Did you know that that seed would never release its power? One of the things, and I don't totally understand this, but it's just the way that God created it, is that you have to put a seed in the ground and leave it there. You can't be digging it up every hour to see if something's happening. You have to leave it there and just give faith to the fact that God says you plant it in the ground and leave it there. It will produce. Did you know it's the same thing with the Word of God? There may be some people that have watched this program And you've been challenged to give a higher priority to God's Word. And so you go and you spend five minutes one day in the Word and you read a few things and you have a couple of thoughts maybe that are positive and you begin to think about it. But then you go out, you spend five minutes in the Word and then you go out to your job and you just violate everything that you read in the way you talk, in the way you 
walk and the way you do everything. And then the next morning you go back and you spend five or 10 minutes in the Word. And then you go out and live your day totally contrary to those scriptures that you've read. And then you may lay off for four or five days. And then you go to church on Sunday and you listen to the preacher and God spoke to you through the preacher and you heard some things. And because of it, you begin to start getting excited. But then you leave it alone for the next I don't know, you know, week or so. What you're doing, see, it's just like a person who plants the seed in the ground, but then uproots it and looks at it. And if nothing's happened, you lose your faith. You'll go back and plant it. But no, you just have to leave it there and let it grow. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. Five minutes in the Word is not going to counterbalance 16 hours of unbelief per day. You have to take God's Word... And you have to take a truth from God's Word. Now, you may not understand it all, but what you do understand, if, if you read something in your devotional time in the morning and if God speaks something to you, then your attitude ought to be that, God, bring this back to my remembrance today. I'm going to let this truth that you've spoken unto me live on the inside of me. I want it to influence the way I think. Say, for instance, you read a scripture about take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow will take thought for the things of itself. That's out of Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about where you're going to eat, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, how you're going to be clothed. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Let's say that you read those verses, but then you go out during the day and something comes up and it looks like, man, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. They're going to repossess my car and all of this. Well, are you going to just uproot that word that you've heard and start worrying and take care? Or are you going to do what the word says and remember and say, Father, I just read today. Don't take thought for these things. You said, seek first the kingdom of God and you would add all of these things to me. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let God's word work in my life. Now, see, if you respond that way, and I'm not saying that you don't have to fight off some fears and fight off some thoughts, but you fight them off. You deal with it and you are letting God's Word, you are basing your actions and your thought life on what God's Word says instead of what the banker has to say, instead of what your neighbor has to say, instead of what the paper has to say. See, if you start doing that, well, then you let that Word stay on the inside of you. But if you read these verses that tell you to trust God, don't worry about your finances, don't worry about things, but you go out during the day and something contrary to what you read comes up, and if you just say, well, man, I'm, I just don't know where my next meal's coming from. We're going to lose our house. We're going to lose our car. Nothing's working. And you begin to start speaking and thinking and acting contrary to what you've read, then you just dug up that seed. That seed is not rooted. It's not staying in your heart. You let the cares of this life and other things choke it and steal the Word from you. And that Word won't profit you unless you start letting it control your thoughts and your emotions and your actions. Man, I pray that you're getting what I'm saying. This is powerful. This is practical stuff. I know some of you want something deeper than this, but this is what you need. If you would take God's Word and let it stay in your heart, it'll be like a seed that you plant in the ground and you let it stay there. It may stay there a week, a month, before you even begin to start seeing a little sprout come up or anything like that. But you've got to give it time to work. There is a time of sowing and reaping. It's the same thing with the Word of God. 
If you've been convicted by what I've been teaching and you say, well, man, I think I'm going to try it. And so you spend five minutes in the Word and if your life doesn't instantly change, if you aren't absolutely healed, if your marriage isn't restored, if things don't work in the next 10 minutes and you just dig it up and say, well, it didn't work, that is absolutely as stupid as a person who plants a seed in the ground for five minutes and wonders why they didn't get a full stalk of corn. That's not the way it works. You can't dig your seed up and look at it and then put it back in the ground and look at it, dig it up, look at it, and then put it back in the ground. No, you just have to leave it there and allow it time to germinate. It's the same thing with the Word of God. You can't just spend five minutes in the Word, pray a prayer, and if your life doesn't instantly smooth out and everything begin to work, then say, well, the Word didn't work. No, you only gave it five minutes in the soil. You only left it in your heart for a brief period of time. This has to be a lifestyle. You have to get to where you start believing God's Word and just day and night you rise and you live and let God's Word begin to control you. And over a period of time, it'll be just like it says here, that you sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. You know, this is one of my favorite things about this whole parable. It says he just puts the seed in the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed springs and grows up of its own. He doesn't understand it. Man, I love that. I know some of you are thinking, well, what did you get out of that? Here's the thing. To me, I don't understand how this works. But I can testify, I can verify to you that if you would just put God's Word in your heart, if you would read it and then meditate on it, think about it, try and conform your emotions, your actions, and your thoughts to what the instructions of God's Word is, if you do that, and if you do it consistently over a period of time, it just happens. I don't know how it happens, but change comes. Matter of fact, I've got another tape set that I'm not offering today but, uh, you know, it's available if you wanted to call in and get information about it. It's a three-tape album entitled Effortless Change. And that title to some people sounds like, like an oxymoron, a contradiction of terms. How can you have effortless change? Change is with great difficulty. And especially in the Christian life, most people see change coming through just terrible labor. But that's because they aren't going about it God's way. God's method of change, maturity, growth, victory in your life is to take the Word of God, which is the seed of all change, and you sow that Word in your heart. And if you would do that over a period of time, the Word just produces change of itself. And you don't know how it happens. I don't know how my life has been transformed. I really don't. I don't understand it. You know, I was listening to the tapes from a minister's conference. Another minister put on this minister's conference. It had thousands of people at it. And I was unable to attend, so some very good friends of mine sent me the tapes. And I've been listening to it, and I've been blessed by it. There's some good things. But, you know, as they were, they were talking about some of the hardships, some of the things that they've been through and different things, it just made me feel so blessed. Man, I've avoided a lot of the problems that a lot of people go through. And I'm not saying it to my credit. I'm not saying it's because of me and because of something great I've done. It's just God. I don't, I don't understand how it's happened, but I do believe that one of the key elements is that I have placed an importance on God's Word, on knowing Him, learning what His Word says, and it has just changed my life effortlessly. I, if I was to go back and try and relive the last 34 years 
and just do it based on my wisdom, you know, I hadn't got a chance of, of doing things as well as it's been done. It is not because of, I figured this stuff out. It's just because, man, I'm staying in relationship with God. I stay in His Word. His Word has changed my attitudes, my emotions, my thoughts. This is how it works. You know, when I first got turned on to the Lord, I had a very miraculous encounter with the Lord on March the 23rd, 1968. And I came to experience God's love. It was an emotional experience. It revolutionized my life, turned me right side up. But the emotion could not have carried me for these 34 years that it has. The emotion jump-started me. It got my attention. It was dramatic. But you know what really changed my life? I remember after the emotion began to wane, and I'd been studying the Word and reading it, but I really hadn't put the importance, the priority on it that I should. And I remember I was kneeling around my bed, and this is when I was still 18 or 19 years old, and I was at home living with my mother. I knelt around my bed. I'd been reading the Bible, so I had the Bible out on the, on the bed, and I was praying and saying, God, I feel like the emotion of what you've done in my life is wearing off, and I was beginning to panic. And I was just praying and saying, God, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose my love for you. And I knew that God had great things in store for my life. But how did I get from, how do I get from here to there? It looked like such a huge distance to cover that I said, God, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I retain these things? And I remember I was kneeling around my bed. I had my eyes closed and I just opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, it's just like, boom, there was the Bible. And in my heart, I heard the Lord say, if you will just put the importance, the priority on knowing my word, studying my word, my word will do everything that you need. And I took that as being God speaking to me. It wasn't in an audible voice. It was something I heard on the inside, but I took it just as if God in an audible voice spoke to me. And you know what? I began to spend as many as 16 to 18 to sometimes 20 hours a day just reading and reading and reading the Bible. And not just reading, but meditating and trying to live by the Word. And I can truthfully tell you that here I am 34 years later, and God's Word has taught me and done everything that I need. I know that there's some of you watching this broadcast who are just desperate. You feel the exact same way that I did. You don't know how to get from where you are to where you believe God wants you to be. And it seems like it's such a major effort. How do I change? How do I do this? I'm giving you my personal testimony. It's God's Word. It's like it says here. It just springs and grows up of itself. You don't have to understand it. I don't understand it. I couldn't go back and outline my life and tell you why all of these things work, but I can tell you one key, and that is that I have spent day and night for 34 years seeking God, meditating in the Word. I, I, it was, I don't, because of my schedule now, I don't spend as much time as I used to in the Word, but I meditate in it constantly. I listen to uh, tapes and things, and I am constantly meditating in it. It doesn't have to always be just reading it. But I still have a hunger just to read God's Word. Just last week, I spent one entire day and probably spent well over eight hours, maybe ten hours or more, just sitting and reading God's Word. And I had some other things I wanted to do, but you know what? I got so excited reading the Word that I just spent time reading it. 
I'm still doing it 34 years later. I've read these things hundreds, thousands of times, and it's still, it's just like, a, it's like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. But he says, I wanted to quit speaking because of the persecution he had gotten, but he says, I couldn't. It, God's Word was like fire shut up in my bones, and I couldn't forbear. I had to speak. And I can truthfully say that God's Word burns on the inside of me. I mean, it excites me. If I start getting discouraged, worried, careful about something, all I've got to do is go to the Scriptures that talk about how God is going to provide for me and about the faithfulness of God and read them. And it's just like fire. It comes in and it burns up the worry and the care and the frustration. I know that many of you are just thinking, I'm weird, and that this is weird. I don't understand what you're talking about. Man, the Word of God doesn't burn on the inside of me. I'm telling you that it can and that it should. And it's not because God doesn't want it to be that way for you. It's because you haven't placed that importance on it. You know, it's like having the Holy Spirit as your teacher. What a wonderful thing. But you would have to go and appear at school. You would have to show up. You have to walk into the classroom, sit down. It would be no good to have the Holy Spirit as your teacher if you never went to school. Well, the Word of God is intended to be like fire shut up in your bones. It's intended to bring forth change in your life. God created the Word. This is what the Word of God is for. But you know what? It's not going to do it just sitting on your coffee table. You can't lay the Bible on top of your head and receive fire and victory and faith and power. You've got to read it. And you got to meditate on it. And you got to start conforming your actions and your thoughts to it and let it become where it's a dominant force in your life. You can't just grab one of these little cards out of your daily loaf as you walk out the door and read one verse a week or one verse a day and think that you're in the Word. It's going to take some time. You are going to have to give some effort to it. But I promise you, it's just like this verse says, the seed springs and grows up, you don't know how. It just works. And that's awesome. And I still enjoy that today. You know, I still don't understand. There's times that I just kind of like a hit a dead end. I'm asking the Lord, like one of the things we're seeking the Lord about is about how, uh, you know, what building to get. We're growing and there's so many different things happening that I have pursued this and pursued that, nothing works, and I just kind of hit a dead end. I don't even know how to pray. You know what I do in a situation like that? I just sit down with the Bible and start reading and start worshiping God and asking God to speak to me. And I mean, it's, in, it's inevitable. It's, it never changes. I just get into the Word of God and start worshiping God and loving God, and God will speak something to me that will apply to my situation. You know, I'm sharing my heart with you. I'm telling you how God moves in my life. And I am not the perfect example, but I tell you, it's working. And this is how it works for me. There are many of you watching this program that say, man, I wish it had worked for me the way you're describing. It can, if you will give the same effort to it that I've given. If you will take God's Word and plant it in your heart and let it stay there and don't dig it up, but live it. Conform your life to it. God's Word will work for you. God's Word is never the problem. It's us not putting God's Word in our heart that's the problem. I've been teaching this from a parable that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And let me just go back and read this. It's only about four verses here. It says, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground... 
and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now again, this is talking about how the kingdom of God operates. This is not telling you how to be a farmer. It's using natural truths that most of us understand about things such as farming and applying them to the kingdom of God. So it's saying that the kingdom of God operates in the same way that the natural world operates off of a principle of a seed. In the natural realm, you have to sow a seed to get a crop. In the spiritual realm, you have to take God's Word into your heart to get a crop. And you don't have to understand it all. That's what it's saying. It says the man just slept and rose night and day and the seed sprung forth of itself. He didn't know how. You don't have to understand this. I'm just telling you that if you would take God's Word and make it an integral part of your everyday life to where you don't just spend five minutes reading a verse and then disassociate yourself, detach yourself from it the rest of the day, But let the instruction that you're getting from God's Word begin to influence your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, everything that you do. If you would just let it take that root on the inside of you, I promise you it would just change you effortlessly. It would just happen. That's what this parable is teaching. In the 28th verse it says, "...for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself." Now in this comparison that we're using, the seed is the Word of God. That's Mark chapter 4, verse 14. It says, The sower soweth the Word. So the seed is the Word. The ground that the seed is planted in is your heart. And so here where it says in verse 28 that the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, in the spiritual sense, it's saying that your heart brings forth fruit of itself. Here's something that I've come to accept. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've witnessed it in other people, but I don't totally understand it, but it's just the way it is. God made your heart so that when God's Word is the seed and it comes in contact with your heart, if you will let God's Word dwell in your heart on a consistent basis, it will just automatically, the heart will begin to change. The heart will begin to start releasing joy and love instead of fear and anger and bitterness and things like this. Your heart will begin to start releasing faith instead of doubt and unbelief. Your heart will interact with God's Word. That's very easy to say, but the average person doesn't believe that. If the average person, even the average Christian, believed what I'm saying, you would have more time spent in the Word of God, meditating in the Word and thinking about it. If you understood this principle and if you really believed it, I can guarantee you we would spend more time in God's Word. That's just all there is to it. You, in a sense, could evaluate a person's commitment or the priority that they place on the Word of God by how much time do you give it. Now, there's a lot of you watching this program or listening by radio who would say, Oh, I believe God's Word is is foundational. I believe it's all important. We have to give it priority in our life. Well, let me just ask you, how much time do you spend actually meditating on the Word of God or reading the Word of God? And there are some of you who would say, oh yes, it's priority in my life, but you couldn't prove it by your actions. You couldn't prove it by the amount of time that's spent. Now, I will admit this, that there are times that certain things happen. 
I've just had some things happen. We've been evacuated from our house because of fires, different things. And I've been packing up and moving. And you know, there's certain things that happen that you just can't spend a lot of time sitting and reading the Bible like this. But those are exceptions. It's like eating food. Typically, you eat three times a day. Some people more than three times a day. But you know what? You don't starve to death if you miss one meal. You could miss one meal. Matter of fact, you could miss one meal a day and most of us might be better off. But you can't do that on a regular basis. You can't invert it to where it gets where you only eat one time a day or one time a week and maintain your health. You can skip that under a stressful situation. You can actually go three days, four days, five days and still perform, but you can't do that on a consistent basis. Well, in the same way, you need to take God's Word like you would your normal food. And you need to just meditate on it constantly. Now, something may come up that you aren't able to do it on one day or or something. And, you know, you aren't going to die. It's not like that you're doomed to failure if you miss your Bible reading. But I'm saying it needs to get to where it's an exception rather than the rule. You need to get to where you esteem God's Word more than your daily food. That's what Job said. Job said he esteemed God's Word more than his daily food. If you would esteem God's Word more than your daily food, if you would partake of it that often, then I can guarantee you God has designed your heart that it just begins to start changing. It begins to start being like His heart if it's influenced by the Word of God. But on the other hand, if you take away the influence of God's Word, and you let your heart go on its own. The Bible says a man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you leave the heart to itself, it is going to start conceiving all kinds of sinful, evil things. You have to have the influence of God's Word on your heart. And that's what this verse is saying. And notice it says this in verse 28, "...the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade..." then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Boy, this is another awesome truth. This is a revelation from God's Word that uh, just could change your life. You know, there's only a few words here, maybe ten words in this phrase. First the blade, then the ear, then after that the full corn in the ear. It might be over ten words. I haven't counted. But what I'm saying is there are just a few words, and yet the concept that these words convey could literally turn your life around, change it. See, this is the way that God's Word is. You have to meditate on it. It's just not how much you read. It's not whether you read 15 chapters a day. It's how much you get from those words. I actually, one time, you know, I have a Bible reading plan. Right now, uh, during the last six months, I'm just about through reading through the entire Bible. And that's not all of the Bible reading I do, but I have a consistent, systematic plan where I read through. And so in six months, I've read through just about the whole Bible. I'll be through in a week or so. And I have this Bible reading plan. I have to read about eight to ten chapters a day to make that happen. And if something comes up, like we get evacuated from our house, something interrupts my daily routine... Well, then, you know, to be able to maintain that pace, I have to read 20 chapters in a day. And if something happened so that I had to read 30 chapters in a day, do you know, that takes some time to be able to do that. And I actually, one time when I was going through and reading through the Bible like this, 
I went through this little ritual kind of that I have. I don't always verbalize it, but basically I just say, Father, you know, I'm studying the Word so that I can fellowship with you. God, give me revelation. God, talk to me through your Word. And I was saying that. I prayed that in my heart. And then I started reading, and I mean like into the first or the second verse of what I was reading. All of a sudden, my heart started interacting with the Word. All of a sudden, I began to start having thoughts Things coming to me that I had never seen before. And I was beginning to get revelation from God. And I literally found myself kind of putting the Bible down, kicking back and just meditating and thinking. And God was speaking to me and good things were happening. And then I caught myself and I thought, man, this is only the second verse. I've got 25 more chapters to read. And I immediately just shut my mind to those thoughts, cast out those thoughts. And I went back to reading. And as I was reading, all of a sudden I felt like the Lord just spoke to me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, God, I'm reading the Word. And he says, why are you reading the Word? And I said, it's so that you could speak to me. And then it just got quiet. God didn't say anything else. And I got to thinking, well, what's all this about? And all of a sudden it dawned on me. Here I was asking God to speak to me. He spoke to me on the second verse. And in a sense, what I said was, no, God, not now. Can't you tell I'm reading the Bible. How dare you interrupt my Bible study? I know some of you think that's terrible. I'm just being honest with you, but we do the same thing. Sometimes you read the Word for you so that you can feel like you've got a feather in your cap, like you've done something that'll make you satisfied with yourself. But the purpose is to be able to hear from God. And if God speaks to you on the first word of the first sentence then forget the rest of the Bible reading and let God say what He wants to say. The purpose of being in the Word is so that God can influence your heart and change your heart. And if your heart's being changed through reading one verse, just read that verse over and over and over until your heart gets the full benefit out of it. Man, those are awesome things. So we're now in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 28... This is the parable of Jesus talking about how the Word works in our life, how the kingdom of God is dependent upon the Word of God in the same way that a harvest is dependent upon sowing the seed. And it says in verse 28, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Now here is a nugget of truth from this passage that could revolutionize your life. It says that when the Word is sown... First comes the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Now here's the physical example, and then we'll draw the spiritual comparison from it. But when you sow a seed, that seed doesn't just all of a sudden spring up and boom, produce this huge stalk of corn with three ears on it. That's not the way that it happens, but instead it germinates. There's a lot happening under the ground before you ever see anything happen Uh, that is above the ground that you can see. But once it begins to start poking up first, you get just this little blade, just a little sprig that comes up above the ground, and then it begins to grow, and then you get the ear, and then you get the full ripe fruit. If you're talking about corn, you you can see an ear, but it's not mature yet. You can't eat it. You have to let it continue to grow until it becomes a full mature ear of corn. If you're talking about a tomato plant, you know, first you get a little sprig and then you get, you can tell the little blossom and then you get a tiny tomato, but you have to let it grow until it fully ripes, matter of ripens. 
One of the things that is uh, advertised often when they promote fruit, you know, in their produce, they talk about vine-ripened tomatoes. In other words, it's better to let it ripen on the vine than it is to pick it green and let it ripen. You have to pick it at the right time. Well, this is a principle that applies also to spiritual things. Did you know when you take the Word of God and when you put it in your heart and you start sowing God's Word in your heart, you have to give it time to germinate. And then even after you begin to start seeing some results from it, you know that the Word is producing. It never produces, boom, just instant victory. There are stages or steps towards victory. And this is a truth that I've learned and applied in my life. Boy, if you can get this, this will answer a million questions for you. There are always steps towards victory. You don't ever come from a position of failure and defeat into total, absolute victory, just boom, all at once. Now, that's what people desire. That's what they pray for all of the time. But if you are going to take God's Word, sow it in your heart, and let God's Word bring you to maturity and victory in your life, then I can guarantee you, based on this parable right here, that there are steps or stages towards this victory. Now, this is just a axiom. This is a law of God that never changes. There are steps towards maturity. There are stages towards victory. You cannot go from zero to a thousand miles an hour instantly. There's an acceleration process. And if you tried to do it all at once, you know what? You'd be splatted up against the back windshield. You have to accelerate slowly and gain speed. And the same thing happens in the Christian realm. Now, since I've understood this principle, did you know it has totally changed the way that I approach God using me and doing things through me? And if you would listen to this, this would really help you. There are some of you that say, for instance, right now, you are coming from a position to where you've been told that God doesn't do miracles, that God doesn't heal today. Now you've come into a revelation that God does heal. You're beginning to believe it. And all of a sudden, you're wanting to accelerate and see full manifestation of healing and victory in this area of financial, uh, physical healing. And you're just wanting to see total healing, total deliverance, walk in perfect health. Did you know what? You're ignoring this principle that first comes a blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. There's steps and stages. See, if you don't start believing God on a small scale and work your way up, then you aren't going to experience complete victory. A person who is, you know, they've never applied God's Word in their life. They aren't meditating in the Word. They aren't doing anything. They're going to wait until something like cancer hits or some incurable disease hits. And when it's beyond the medical profession's ability, when nothing can be done about it, then all of a sudden you're going to believe God and you're expecting to plant a seed and reap in the next week and have go from never having seen God do a miracle in your life to seeing cancer heal miraculously, your tumor leaving, all pain leaving and everything being perfect. You know what? That's just not smart. If a farmer was to try and do that and wait until he had a need and then go out and plant a seed and expect to go out the next morning and reap his crop and have, be able to go cash it in and receive the money that he needs from it, that guy would go bankrupt. That's not the way that it works. You know, if you want to see healing work in your life, you have to start where you are. You may have to start with a headache. And there's a lot of people that think, I just think it's stupid to bother God with a headache. 
But again, it's this principle. See, at first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. There's steps, there's stages, there's growth involved. If you can't believe God for a headache, you can't believe God for cancer. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anybody who finds themselves in a situation where you've got cancer and you've never trusted God for a headache in the past. You're in a situation where you hadn't got any alternative. You're going to have to jump in and go to believing God. But I'd say that if you don't have this track record, if you haven't grown and matured over a period of time, probably what you need to do is to go to someone else who has grown and matured and taken the Word, and you need to let them pray for you, and you need to let them help you and get your healing off of someone else's faith. If you're going to receive it just through taking the Word and believing it, then there is a growth process involved. And so, see, it's not wasted time. Even though you could take a pill over here that would numb you to your pain of your headache, and in 30 minutes you could have relief, versus over here... You're trying to believe God and it's drug on for a whole day and you still got pain. Some people think, well, what's the use? Well, what you don't realize is that until you start seeing this blade come up, until you start believing God for this small thing, you aren't going to be able to make this quantum leap into believing God for healing of cancer and blind eyes open and deaf ears open. It is beneficial for you to sit there and fight over that headache, even though you could have taken a pill. You are exercising yourself unto godliness. Here's another comparison. I had a Bible college student come to me one time, and this man had had some mental problems, and because of this, he had been in uh, uh, mental wards and things most of his life. He was like 30-something years old, but he had never held down a job. His family had paid for him to be in these institutions. He had never done anything. He lived off welfare This guy came to our Bible college. I was teaching on prosperity and and believing God for something, going out there and putting your hand unto something, doing something. And this man got excited by this teaching on prosperity, and he came to me and told me that he had found an old hotel that had burnt. It was wood, I mean uh, stone on the outside, and so it was still repairable, but there was damage done on the inside. He had found it. He was going to buy it for like $2 million. He was going to spend three point something million dollars renovating it. And then he would be able to rent it out to people. He had figured out what the income would be per room, that it would pay for the cost of uh, buying the thing and renovating it. And he had it all figured out and on paper. And he told me that, man, God had spoken to him and he was going to believe God and he was going to buy this hotel, renovate it, and become a millionaire. And you know what? I went out of my way to compliment this guy because remember, he had been on welfare his whole life. He had never thought of doing anything. So I complimented him for the fact that he was dreaming. And I said, that's awesome. I said, man, this is great. But I also told him, I said, this isn't going to work for you. And he got very offended by that. Like you are standing against my faith. You are coming against what God told me to do. But I told him, I said, based on this scripture... There's there's always first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. And I just told him this. And I, I really love this guy. I respect him. I like the guy. But I just told him, I said, you have never believed God for a dime. You've had your parents or welfare provide everything for you your entire life. You have never seen God give you a single dollar bill supernaturally, and yet you're going to jump from never having had a dollar supplied for you to receiving $5 million supplied for you. It's not going to happen. 
That's not the way it happens. You have to start somewhere. You have to start trusting God in the small thing, and then as you become faithful in a few things, God increases you unto more. This is a law of the kingdom. It's the way that the Word works in your life. If you aren't trusting God, if you aren't taking God's Word and taking promises that will apply to your everyday life at work, at your home, at your car, when your car stalls, when something happens. If you aren't trusting God and beginning to exercise your faith and believe God for wisdom, and if you aren't applying this on your daily life, and you're waiting until bankruptcy looms, until the doctor tells you you're going to die, until the divorce papers are served, and then you're trying to believe God, I'm telling you this in love, but you're going to fail if you stand on your own. You're going to have to go to somebody else and get help. The way that this kingdom works is that if you want to believe God on your own and receive it from your faith, believing God for your miracles, you are going to have to start applying it in small things. And there's going to be first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. There's steps, there's stages. And see, since I've learned this, I've done this even with television. When we started on television, I'd have to been on every television market in the entire world. Boom, all at once. But you know what? I've been seeking the Lord and walking with Him for 34 years, but I'm still not to that stage. So we took on approximately $20,000 a month in television airtime. There was other cost of employees, equipment, and stuff, probably twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a month. That was a huge step, but it wasn't everything. I, I realized there were steps and stages. We just recently added another forty-five dollars or $50,000 a month to that, and we're taking steps, and now we're covering a large part of the globe, but there's always the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Let me go down and take the very next passage of Scripture. This is another parable that Jesus taught, and once again, it's using the comparison that the Word of God is like a seed. In the same way that you cannot have a crop without planting a seed, you cannot have the fruit in the Christian life that you're supposed to have without taking God's Word into your heart and absorbing it. And so this is what it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 30. It, it says, He said unto them, Whosoever, or excuse me, whereunto where shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. You know, this parable has a special meaning to me because I've already given some of my testimony, but the Lord was just showing me how important the Word of God was to my life. And uh, right after the Lord had begun to show these things to me and I started just pouring into the Word of God, and I mean meditating in it day and night, I got drafted and I went to Vietnam. In my very first week in Vietnam, they had a special training for you when you first came into country before they shipped you out to your final um, assignment. And I remember that in basic training, I had a really negative experience with CS gas, what basically the same thing as tear gas. And uh, they put us in this gas chamber in basic training and they gassed us with this stuff. And I mean, it burns your lungs, it burns your eyes, your throat. It's just terrible. And that was a bad enough experience. But then there was a second experience I had in basic where they had us low crawling under this wire. 
and they said that when you hear a, um, a pop, where they popped a canister of CS gas, that you were supposed to pull out your gas mask, put it on, clear it, and get ready. And it was a drill to see how fast you could do it. Well, my first experience with that CS gas, I hated it. So, man, I was just ready. I was ready. And I heard this pop, and what it was, it was a, a canister of CS gas that they had popped. And uh, I got my gas mask out, and I put it on. I was the very first person. And a drill sergeant was standing next to me, and he kicked me. And he said, Troop, what are you doing? He says, I didn't tell you to put your mask on yet. And he said, take it off. And so I took my gas mask off, and then he had a canister of that CS gas on a stick, and he stuck it right in my face. And I mean, I got a huge whiff of that. I started choking. Then I tried to put on my mask, and uh, it, was a, it was a terrible experience. I thought I was going to die. So anyway, this is all background. So when I got to Vietnam, they had this training, and they were going to put us through another one of these gas chambers and gas us with this CS gas to teach us, you know, how bad it was. Well, I was already absolutely, totally convinced it was bad. And I didn't want to go through any more of this. And so I remember praying and saying, God, I'll do anything, anything, but you've got to get me out of this. I was really believing God to get me out of going through that gas chamber. And that morning at breakfast, they asked for a volunteer. And one of the things you learn real quick in the Army is don't ever volunteer for anything. It's just, uh, it's not smart. But you know what? I thought I didn't care what they were going to do. It didn't matter if they sent me out there to the enemy. Anything would have been better than this gas chamber. So I volunteered. And what it turned out, they made me the guard over the barracks that day. And so while everybody else went through the gas chamber, I just laid on my bunk in the barracks and studied the Word. Man, it was awesome. I had a great time. And I never will forget this. I was reading this passage of Scripture right here out of Mark chapter 4. And I read about the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. And I've seen a mustard seed before. I don't know if you've seen one, but it is the smallest of all seeds. I mean, it's tiny. And so when I saw, saw this about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, but it says when it's sown in the earth, it grows and becomes the greatest among all herbs so that the fowls of the air come and lodge under the branches of it. And what this is talking about is that there is growth in the kingdom of God. Same, same principle that I made in our teaching last week about first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. And the Lord was just ministering to me about how I needed to grow. And I saw myself that at that time, that was about 1969, maybe, well, it must have been January of 1970, I felt like that little mustard seed. I felt like, God, I know you love me. I know you've done something awesome in my life, but man, I am the smallest, most insignificant of all people. How in the world could you ever use me? But this was promising that if I would take that seed, the Word, and plant it in my heart, it would produce this huge fruit. It would be like this tree that grows up so that the fowls of the air could lodge under the shadow of it. And I remember laying on this bunk and just meditating and seeing myself someday growing to a place to where I had something to help other people, to where I would be able to bless other people. And I remember thinking about this. And in my imagination, I saw this huge like oak tree that was just giant, you know, spread out everywhere. And I, as I was thinking about this, here's the way that the Lord spoke to me. As I was thinking in my imagination, I saw a bird... <laughs> come and lie, you know, land on one of those branches. And when it did, the whole tree toppled over. 
And when I looked, it was because there was no, there was no root. I mean, the root was like that. And, you know, here was this huge tree and one bird landing on the branch just caused this entire tree that I was imagining to topple over. And the Lord through that got to speaking to me and saying, you're wanting all of this growth. You're wanting all of these things in your life, but it's just like a tree. First of all, you got to put down roots. And did you know that roots are all below the surface? Roots are something that, that if a tree is healthy, if it doesn't get uprooted, plucked up by the roots or something, you never see the roots on a tree. It's all below the surface, and yet the roots are what enable the rest of this growth to take place. And it's where you get your nutrients from, and it's where you get your stability from. Even if it wasn't for the fact that the roots are where you get your water and nutrients from, if it wasn't for that, your roots are also what anchors that tree. And the Lord was showing me that my roots were only like that deep. If the Lord was to open up a worldwide ministry and give me opportunity to share with people, did you know the slightest little thing would come along would topple me over? And through this, the Lord really began to speak some things to me. And this has direct application to you. I know that there's people watching this program and listening by radio right now that you're really desiring awesome things. You're desiring great financial prosperity and yet, you know what? You haven't meditated on the Word of God and let the Word put down roots on the inside of you. The Scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that if you desire to be rich, you pierce yourself through with many lusts and desires that destroy many people. Now, there's nothing wrong with having prosperity, but what it's saying is you need to have the root system, the stability to be able to handle that prosperity. Some of you are wanting God to supply you and bless you and give you these things, and if He did, it would be the very thing that would ruin you. See, you need to let those roots go down deep first. There are some of you that are wanting to go out and have great miracles of healing and do all of these things, but you know, there's a lot of things that go along with all of this the temptations of thinking that you did it instead of, you know, humbly admitting that it was God that used you. There's just a lot of things that many of us are looking for and praying for in our life that if God was to grant it right now, it would absolutely destroy you. And so it is not God who is punishing you or doing bad things. I don't believe that. I believe that God only does good things. But sometimes you may perceive it as bad because it's not what you want right now. But God's trying to develop a root system on the inside of you. God is more concerned about you than He is about using you to reach somebody else. God is more concerned about your integrity than He is all of these other kinds of things. And see, all of this goes back to these parables. Through this, the Lord taught me, you just don't worry about the growth above the ground. If you will take the Word and let it take root on the inside of you, then this other growth will come. You know, it's impossible to put a seed in the ground and let it develop roots without it also producing a tree or a plant, whatever. You know, I heard a story about, I think it's called Chinese bamboo, but anyway, it's some type of a bamboo plant that the first four years that that seed is planted, you only get a little sprout above the ground about like that. It's just a little tiny. But then in the fourth year, that thing grows to a height of 18 feet in one year. 
Now, some people would look at that and think, man, what a fast-growing plant, 18 feet in one year. No, it was actually 18 feet over four years. But three years of all of that growth was below the surface. It was a root system. And without that root system, you couldn't have seen this spectacular growth in one year's time. And see, sometimes people, I've had people look at me and say, man, look how your ministry has grown through radio. And man, it just happened all of a sudden. It just happened overnight. And I tell them, yeah, it's a 34-year overnight miracle. You may see the growth all of a sudden, but you don't know that for 34 years, man, I've just been seeking God and holding steady and doing what God told me to do. There is a root system that needs to be developed in you, and that's what the Word of God does. It'll build that character that you need. It'll keep you from being a character, and it will build character. Amen. That's what we need. You know, another example that the Lord used is I was meditating on this exact same thing. When I was a kid, I grew up in Arlington, Texas, and we had 23 pecan trees in our yard. And it was my job, my parents told me, it was my job to go around and pull up all the little pecan trees. Those pecans would fall down in the grass, the leaves would cover it, and they would just root by themselves, and they'd begin to grow up. Now, when they first grew up, when they first came up above the grass, you know, they were only like that tall, and you could just go and pull them up by hand. But being a typical kid, I really wasn't excited about pulling up these trees. And so what I would do is let them grow until they got like a foot tall or something, and then my parents could see them, you know, when they were just looking out the window, and they would tell me I had to go uh, pull up that pecan tree. What I learned was that if you allowed one of those little trees to grow 12 inches above the ground, there was three feet of roots below the ground. And if I let them get to 12 inches like that, I'd have to go get a shovel and dig them up to get rid of those trees. If I'd have gotten them when they were just little tiny, well, then you could just pull them up by your hand. And as I was meditating on this and thinking about wanting this huge tree, you know, fruit in my life, and I was thinking of all the visible things that are obvious to me and other people above ground, and the Lord was dealing with me and saying, your root system is more important than the other. The, if the, you have a good root system, the other will automatically come. As I was thinking about that, the Lord reminded me of these little pecan trees and said, you know what, there's three times as much growth below the surface as there is above the surface. And you know, I know that I'm not the only one that thinks this way. There are many of you watching or listening to this broadcast right now that you are wanting God to use you and you're wanting to do things that are visible so that people can see what God is doing in your life and yet you aren't spending time just in your house alone with God, studying the Word, meditating, because that's not getting you a pat on the back. That's not visible. That's something that you aren't going to get any awards for. And yet that's developing your root system, just you putting down personal relationship with God, fellowshipping with God, learning the things of God through the Word. And I tell you, if you really want to be healthy, that's what you've got to do. You've got to develop this root system. And this is what this parable is all about. All of these things, the reason that the Lord used the example of a seed instead of some other example is because there are parallels from this natural example to spiritual things. And just like in the natural world, a seed has to root and put these roots out and develop this system before it can sustain any growth above the ground. In the same way, a Christian has to spend time 
just in the presence of God, in the Word of God, learning, letting God work in your heart and develop a root system, something that will sustain you through hard times. As a matter of fact, this same type of uh, parallel or comparison is used over in Psalms chapter 1. Let me get over there. And it says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Here again is this same comparison of a godly person to a tree. In the same way that, you know, we've been teaching out of Mark chapter 4, you have to plant the seed. Right here it's saying that a godly person is a person who will be like a tree planted by a river of living water. You know what the significance of that is? When a tree is planted by the water, that means that there is a readily available source of water. You don't get it by osmosis. You know how you get it? Those roots go down in the ground and those roots tap into that water source and it all has again to do with this root system. If you plant a tree in a desert, if the roots went deep enough and maybe it found a well, that might work. But when you plant a tree by a stream, it draws that moisture out of the ground, out of that stream, and it sustains it. And that's the reason it says that it will be able to survive a drought. His leaf shall not wither, and uh, whatsoever he does shall prosper. You know, every one of us are going to go through seasons in our life that are like drought. There are things that happen to us. And they aren't necessarily God doing it or the devil. They're just natural things that happen. You know, I've been thinking about some of these things. You heard me mention this, but I just got evicted uh, from our house because of this fire and stuff. And I've been talking to a person and one person tried to tell me, well, man, if you were really believing God, this wouldn't happen and stuff. But, you know, I don't look at things that way. We're in the midst of a drought and the conditions are bad. And you know what? A lightning strike or something like that. I don't look at that as God did this or the devil or just some natural things that happen. Now, I'm praying to God and I'm believing for supernatural results so that we'll still have a house. But what I'm saying is, if my house was to burn, it wouldn't make me feel like God's unfaithful to me. That's no different than a person that builds a house on a beach and a hurricane hits it. I wouldn't think that God failed them. If you build a house that straddles the San Andres Fault and then you have an earthquake and your house gets damaged, and if you get mad at God, I think you're absolutely wrong. Amen. There are just some things that happen. And you know what? If you live in a forest, you have to deal with the potential of fire. If you live on a beach, you have to deal with the potential of hurricanes. If you live on the San Andres Fault, you have to deal with the potential of earthquakes. And it's not God or the devil that does it. It's just things happen. There are going to be drought. There are going to be problems, things that come against you. But it says that if you are really a godly person dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty, that He will sustain you through a drought. Your root system, your relationship that you've built with God will sustain you through hard times. Man, that's awesome. And you know, I know again that there's people listening to me right now that you've got problems in your life and you are cursing your problems and thinking, if I didn't have this problem and if I could just get God to solve this problem and get me a new wife, a new husband, get me a nicer house, car, you're looking at all of these things and thinking, if I could solve these problems, everything would be right. 
But you know what the problem is? It's your root system. It's the fact that you're shallow. It's the fact that you don't have any depth. It's the fact that you don't have the Word of God rooted and you can't dig down. I mean, if you just miss one single watering, you're going to wither and dry up and die because you don't have any depth of maturity of roots in you. You know what gives that to you? The Word of God. Again, I know that some of you may be disagreeing with this and saying, no, I believe that I can be matured and I can grow and I can do these things and I do not have to spend a lot of time in the Word of God. Well, you can argue this point if you want to, but again, my personal testimony is that it's the Word of God that has given me my relationship with God. That's how God reveals Himself to me. It says over in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is equated with being the Word because He speaks through this. Jesus is the Word made manifest. When I study the Word of God, I am studying Jesus. When I read the Word of God and God's Word speaks to me, Jesus is speaking to me. I am having relationship with God. You know, I know that to some people that's just awkward. It's weird. It's like you look at this as a book and you say, no, it's just a book. This is a book about God. You have to take those things and then it's totally separate where you apply it and God uses it. But it's not that way. I mean, when I am meditating in God's Word, I am communing with God. God is speaking to me through this. And see, because of that, I'm saying that this is what has produced this root system and given me whatever stability I have in my life. And you may be saying, well, I don't like this. I just don't think you have to do that. But again, evaluate your life. Are you getting the fruit that you desire? Are things working in your life the way that you know God wants them to? And I think many of you would have to say, well, no, they aren't. Well, then if it's not working, maybe you ought to consider changing and taking advice from someone who it is working for. I am not perfect, but I'm telling you that my life is blessed. God is doing awesome things in my life. And I am telling you that it's just like this scripture says. If you go back to my teaching, when I first started on this parable, I was saying I was laying on that bunk in Vietnam. The Lord spoke to me through these exact passages of scripture. I wanted this fruit. I wanted to be like a huge tree that would provide shelter to people. That's what I was desiring. And the Lord spoke to me and told me the problem was I didn't have a root system to sustain the type of growth I was desiring. And if I would quit worrying about the growth and just deal with my roots and let the Word of God take root on the inside of me, that the growth would come. That's what I've done for the last 30 years. And I tell you, there has been huge growth in my life, in my character personally, in the number of people that I'm able to touch. And I'm telling you, this is what worked for me. This was a rhema word from God to me, and it worked. If you want results like that, if you want the power of God to begin to work in your life, you need to take the word of God and let it take root on the inside of you. Not become casually acquainted with it, but you need to get to where you know the Word of God better than you know the back of your hand. You need to know God's Word better than you know what you look like, better than you know any of the natural things that we deal with. God's Word has to become first place in your life. And if you will do that, then God's Word will put you first place in whatever the endeavor is that God leads you to do. Man, that's powerful truth. 
Now, we've dealt with the parable of the man who took seed and cast it into the ground. He didn't know how it worked, but it just produced. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Then we use the parable of the mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, but once it's planted, it roots and it produces this huge plant. So we've already dealt with that. And in verse 35, this is Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is right after he had taught about all of these different parables, every one of them. Uh, was comparing the kingdom of God to the way that a seed is sown in the ground. And after all of this, it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and the same day, now that is significant. I'm going to come back to that later. But notice in Mark 4, 35, it says, the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, And there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now this is the exact same day that he had been teaching all of these parables about how important the word is. Now that's the significance in verse 35 when it says, And the same day. The same day is what? The same day that he had taught these ten parables, every one of them talking about the importance of the Word of God and comparing the kingdom of God to the natural world where a seed has to be sown. We've already talked about a lot of these principles, but it was that same day. Now here's the significance of this. He had been telling his disciples about how the Word worked. He taught them the kingdom. He gave them the Word. And then that same day... Basically, what this is describing is he gave them a test. You know, it's just like we have in our Karis Bible School. We have classes, but then after we teach, we give a test to see did they pay attention? Did they get what we were teaching? Basically, this is what Jesus did to his disciples right here. He had been teaching them about the importance of the Word. If you would take the Word and act on the Word and protect the Word, the Word will do anything. The kingdom of God is like a seed. This Word is a seed. If you'll use it, it'll produce a miracle for you. So he had taught them all of this. Now he put them into the boat and he gave them a test to see whether they would draw on this or not. And so as they were in this ship, it says a great storm of wind came down and they were about to perish. And they came in verse 38. It says that the Lord, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Now you got to get a picture of this. I've actually been on this Sea of Galilee and I was in this little boat. Of course, this was a tourist boat, but it was called the Jesus boat. (laughs) I thought that was a pretty good name. And we actually went out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They cut off the engines and we just sat there. And I took the scriptures and started teaching about here's what happened. Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. Here's where the demonic, uh, the Gadarene demoniac had the legion of demons cast out of him. Here's where he fed the 5,000. It was really a powerful time. I enjoyed it. But my point is that the boat that they had on this lake is supposed to be a replica 
of the boats of the time. And we had about 30 or 40 people that were on this boat. And so in all probability, the boat I was on was probably a bigger boat than what Jesus was in with his disciples. And yet here's my point. There weren't cabins below deck. It was an open boat. And it says that the boat was full. It looked like that they were going to drown. And Jesus was asleep on the pillow. So he wasn't in a lower cabin. He wasn't laying there dry in a bed. He was laying in water. And my point is that one of two things had to happen. Either Jesus was sleeping supernaturally where he was just oblivious to the fact that he was sloshing around in water in this huge storm, or what is probably more probable was he was just continuing to try and sleep. He was aware of the situation. You couldn't be laying in water like that and not be aware of the situation. I believe he knew what was going on, but he was trying to sleep. And here were his disciples just bailing water for all they were worth, and they were doing everything they could to try and keep the boat afloat. They look over at Jesus, and Jesus is asleep. And they came to him, and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Any way you read this, I don't care how you read into this, you are going to have to say that these disciples were put out with Jesus. It was like, Jesus, you aren't doing your fair share. Here we are, we're about to drown, and you're asleep, and you know that we're in a storm. You're sloshing around in the water. There's no way that you could be sound asleep. Jesus, you don't care. You don't care about us. That basically is what they were saying, and they were wanting him to do something. Now, there's no indication that they were wanting him to perform a miracle, but at least, you know, get a bucket and bail, get a oar and row, do something. But how could you sleep through this? You don't even care about us. You know, lest we get too uh, hard on the disciples here, let me just make a comparison and say that in a real sense, we do this same thing. I've talked to many, many people who... As I talk to them and they tell me what their problem is, they basically tell me about some crisis that they've been in. They were looking to God to bring them out of this crisis, and because nothing happened, they basically are saying, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't care about what happened to me. Same type of attitude. When you read the Word, you need to read it like this and make Uh, correlations, applications to your personal life. And in a very real sense, most people watching or listening to this broadcast have been guilty of doing the exact same thing that the disciples did in the midst of a crisis because you don't feel like God is doing enough. You say, you don't care about me. But look what happened when they woke Jesus up. In verse 39, it says, He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Boy, this is a miracle. I mean, there was this huge storm of wind. The boat had been filled with water, and yet Jesus got up and just said three words, peace, be still, and instantly there was this great calm. Well, that's awesome. It was a great miracle, but look what Jesus went on to say in verse 40. He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, notice the Lord's reaction. He didn't just basically say, guys, I'm sorry. I was trying to get some sleep, but I should have been up. I should have been helping you. Forgive me. I'm wrong. You're right. That's not the response of the Lord. He instead got up and took care of the problem. But then he turned around to the disciples and he says, why are you fearful? Most of us would go, why am I fearful? I'm about to die. What's wrong with you? But you know, when you get, when you have the word of God in you, 
This is what I've been teaching about nearly for two weeks. When the Word of God gets planted in your heart, it changes your heart about things. You have a different way of looking at things. You aren't stressed out. You know, I came out of a meeting last night for a crisis situation thing, and they were the government was passing out these leaflets. And they said, do you want one? And I didn't know what it was. And I was walking out with the whole, you know, it's four or five hundred people there. And as I walked out, I said, yeah, I'll take anything you got. And I stopped and looked at it, and it was stress management, how to recognize stress and how to deal with it. And I just put it on the desk over there, and I said, hey, I don't need that. And, you know, some people think, you don't need it. This was a crisis situation. We've been evacuated from our house. I've mentioned this. And and anyway, um, they were telling me how to deal with this stress is what they were doing. But you know what? Because of the Word of God... I am not stressed out. I am not worried. I'm not bothered. Jamie and I are blessed. We've had some people call us and say, are you all right? Is everything going okay? And they're stressed out and it's just like, we're fine. What's wrong with you? The difference is the influence that the Word of God has on your life. Jesus, He didn't get up and say, guys, I'm sorry. I was insensitive. I I wasn't aware of you. See, that's the attitude that you're having. I mean, we are being pummeled with in our society, we are so touchy-feely that you're supposed to always empathize and feel other people's pain and things like this. And basically, that's all the world has to offer is just sympathy, to stroke you and say, oh, I know it's bad. But Jesus has got something better than that. He had been teaching the people all this day about what the Word of God would do if you would put the Word in your heart how it would change you. And when Jesus finally got up and took care of the situation, He didn't apologize and say, I was insensitive. You're right to feel this way. Instead, He got up and rebuked His disciples. Why is it that you don't have any faith? What's wrong with you guys? Most of us would consider that unreasonable. Just the same as today, if a person comes into a crisis situation, most people feel, don't you dare tell them that they can believe God and that they can do something. You get down and just hug them and feel their pain and empathize with them. I'm telling you that there's something better than just getting down in the mud and wallowing in the muck and the mire with you, and that is to read out a hand and help pull you out of that stuff. The Word of God will change your heart so that you do not have to be overcome with things. Jesus was like that. He says, what's the problem? Why don't you guys have any faith? If they would have taken the Word that was spoken to them, drawn the faith out of it that was available to them, they should not have been upset over this crisis situation. They could have taken care of it. We need to start taking God's Word. And instead of going and saying, God, don't you care about me? Why haven't you done anything? We need to go and say, God, I know why I'm not healed. I haven't meditated in the Word. The Bible says that your Word is health to all my flesh and life to those that find it. Psalms 107, verse 20, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. If you aren't taking the Word of God and meditating in it day and night, and if you aren't healed, well, then don't get mad at God as if God has failed. He gave you healing right here in the Word of God, and you aren't taking your gospel. Amen. That's what the Word is. It's your gospel, and you need to take it every day until you see results.